Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, April 3rd, 2022. It focuses on Jesus' maturity as he deals with friends and enemies in a variety of difficult situations. The message to all who will listen is God can help us by his Holy Spirit to react more maturely in the hard moments of our lives. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. All right. What is a sure sign of maturity? If it's gray hair, I may have some of you beat. <laughs> I might not be the most mature person here, though. We all know that if it's just gray hair, it's not really what it takes to be maturity. So what are some clear, positive signs of maturity. Just shout them out and I'll repeat them just to make sure that everybody can hear them, but any signs of maturity, things that are characteristics of those who are mature? No hair. No hair? <laughs> yeah, okay. Patience. Patience. Responsibility. Responsibility, love. Understanding. Wisdom, understanding, okay. What else? Tolerance. Tolerance. Okay. Caring. Caring. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Being able to give up your own wants for the wants of another. Being able to give up your own wants for the wants of another. Okay. Or putting the other needs of others ahead of your own. I think that's in scripture. Anything else? Teaching of the Lord. Okay, teaching the Lord is wisdom, and if we follow it, we'll be more mature, right? Exactly. Great. Okay, you don't have to come up with any more. Those are all great ideas. Appreciate your input. So generally speaking, I think that maturity is the ability to deal kindly, patiently, helpfully, gently with others. Maybe it goes beyond that to a lot of those other things, but it's especially when the people who we're dealing with are not mature and they're not kind and they're not patient and they're not gentle and they're not helpful to us. Maturity is being able to continue to act in a mature way and in those kind, patient, gentle, helpful ways, even when other people mistreat us or are not returning that same kind of treatment. Uh, I kind of picture an experienced teacher responding calmly to a child who's having troubles staying focused in the classroom, redirecting that kid time and time and time again. I think of a grandma who listens attentively to a grandson as he goes on and on about this video game that he loves that she has no idea what he's talking about. Maybe maturity looks like a friend gently correcting you when you fussed and grumped at them all morning. And just to be clear, that means that they were being mature towards you, right? <laughs> yeah. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus finds himself in quite a few situations which have the potential to be more than just a little awkward. In each case, Jesus handles himself maturely. He gently rebukes those who are in the wrong, and he commends those who are getting things right. We're going to learn from our master today. I know that he's the son of God, and as such, seems to have a bit more going for him than we do at times. Maybe he has a bit of an advantage over us. But don't forget that the Holy Spirit 
who is God himself, lives within us as believers. And so we can live in the same way that Jesus did. He can empower us and enable us and strengthen us to do those things. And so we have help from God when we face difficulties because he lives in us. So before I say any more, I'm going to invite Mike to come and to read Mark chapter 14 for us. As he reads, remember that your job is to hear God's voice and obey his direction. This is always, always, always the most important part of coming to God's word, whether it's here on Sunday morning or whether it's sitting in your comfy chair with a cup of tea or your first cup of coffee, reading God's word on your own. It's always the most important part is to hear God's word and understand what his will is so that you can put it into practice. So listen as Mike reads Mark 14 and heed the words that the Spirit highlights for you. That's your message. I'm going to bring some other things and talk about some other things, but make sure you're hearing God's Spirit on your own. I'm going to be reading from the Chronological Life Application Study Bible, the New Living Translation. So whatever you're reading may not go along with it. I just really, I just really enjoy this Bible. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, Leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth. Whenever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard he had come, and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to, protect, to betray Jesus. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. 
That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one of them asked in turn, Am I the one? He replied, It is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it in the new kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus told them, All of you will desert me, for the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you ever know me. No, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. <coughs> and he went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. And they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them a third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, 
arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you will take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him a kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slicing off his ear. Jesus asked them, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you, teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill the scriptures and what they say about me. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man who was clothed only in long linen shirt, when the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. They took Jesus to the high priest's homes where the priests and elders and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their stories straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes off to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have heard all this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophecy to us, they jeered, and the guards slapped him as they took him away. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. And then the rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, This man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them because you were a Galilean. Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. And suddenly, 
Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. There are things we could learn from others in these stories, but remember that our focus is on Jesus and his character and how he reacts and relates to others. And so we're going to look at him. We're going to look at what his character shows us so that we can know God better and learn how he might deal with us. We're going to start with Jesus's emotionally and spiritually mature response to the anointing he received at Bethany just two days before his crucifixion at Passover. This woman who's come to anoint him with this expensive perfume, it's about her salvation and Israel's salvation and in the long run, our salvation that he's about to accomplish. Those around Jesus watch as this woman wastes a bottle of perfume on him. And they're indignant. They think that she should have used her wealth better. Their words are harsh. They're critical. Rebuke is sometimes the mature response in a situation, but only in the case of a brother or sister in Christ who's straying away from God. It's only maturity when we're addressing someone who's sinning and trying to turn them back to God. It's always to be led by the Spirit of God and done gently. That was one of the words we used when we talked about being mature, right? In the words of Paul in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, we are given some guidance as we deal with one another. So listen as I read them. Again, this is Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If you're living by the Spirit, that is, you're staying in communication with God, staying in relationship with Him, and if you can do so gently with the aim of restoring a friend, then you're free to correct. Those are the stipulations that Paul gives. Correct them when you correct them in the way that you want to be corrected. Gently, patiently, calmly. Because it's likely you that's going to need the rebuke next time. Isn't that how it goes? We help one another. Those in the house in Bethany were not acting in line with God's spirit. They weren't gentle at all. Their judgmental words are not helping this woman. What does Jesus do? Seeing things as God sees them, which we're only able to do if we're seeking him and going after him. Jesus rebukes the fault finders and commends this woman's act of service. Now, we would do well to pay attention to the mature response of our master and mimic him. We should thank God for those whom we see serving God, even if they're doing so in a way that makes us feel uncomfortable. You know, those, those Baptists are weird. No, that's not what I mean. But that's the kind of attitude we sometimes have, isn't it? That those guys, they worship God in weird ways. and Even if it makes us uncomfortable, we thank God for them, that they're serving him. We should encourage their worship and their acts of service, even if their methods are, in our minds, a little weird. That's maturity. The mature thing to do in most cases is allow for differences and give others the benefit of the doubt, trusting God to lead them as much as we trust him to lead and guide us. 
we believe that we're following Jesus. I'm sure that in many cases they believe that they're following Jesus. We go back to Paul. If we're going to correct, we do so gently and only as the Spirit guides us. All right, we're going to skip down to Jesus' time in Gethsemane now. Uh, but I will say that Jesus' reactions to Judas, whom he knows is going to betray him, and to Peter, whom he knows is going to deny him, and to the rest of the crew, whom he knows are going to abandon him, are the picture of maturity. He speaks in a matter-of-fact way about all of them. He speaks the truth with no malice in his heart. He simply says, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who's eating with me in verse 18. In verse 27, concerning the disciples, you're all going to fall away, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And finally, concerning Peter, he asserts in verse 30, truly I tell you today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. He's just stating the facts. The mature person, like Jesus, states facts without inflammatory additions. That's where we get in trouble when we start using inflammatory language. Oh, that we would all be like Jesus in every dealing we have with one another. All right, we're moving on past all of this. I told you I'm going to talk very much about that. We're moving on past this to how Jesus acts in the garden as the full weight of what's about to happen to him falls on his shoulders. He's going to face a horrible death, and he knows it. How does he respond? He responds in prayer. More specifically, he responds in submissive prayer. Listen to his words. They're verse 36. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Is that what your prayers sound like in times of trouble? Or are you more likely to say, God, get me out of this mess? Some turn ugly when faced with trials. What kind of God would let me go through this? Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God is good? Perhaps you know the back and forth thing that people have done in some churches about God's goodness. God is good. All the time, and all the time, God is good. good, okay, I just had to give you a little prompting there, but isn't it true? It's kind of fun to say, kind of fun to get us all riled up and excited about God, but do you really believe that God is good all the time? Maturity is trusting God even when things are not going as you'd like. It's submitting to God's will and allowing God's will to come what may. Anybody like the name of Job? It's a great name, great story. Job reacted pretty positively or pretty well, pretty maturely when his life fell apart. Here's what it says in Job 1, verses 20 to 21. Everything's falling apart. Here we go. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell on the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. These are the words and actions of a man whose livestock has all been either stolen or killed by lightning. A man whose kids have been killed because a strong wind came along and caused the house to collapse on them. Still, Job worships and Job trusts. 
Jesus submits to God's will as he faces the toughest moment in his life to this point. He tells the Father what he'd prefer, that is, rescue from this death that's coming. But he makes it plain to the Father that his will, the Father's will, is what matters most to him. If relief cannot accomplish what God wants done, then he, Jesus, wants God's will to be done. Jesus will simply trust and obey. Friends, if God is good all the time, he can be trusted all the time. His will is always going to be best because this is true. We can pray with Jesus. Not what I will, but what you will. Now, there are so many things that we could talk about in this chapter. We could easily take two or three or four messages. I don't know how many it would take to go over every detail, but we're not going to do that. So let's take just one moment more with just one of the remaining stories given to us. After Jesus' arrest, as Jesus is facing false accusations before the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of Israel, our master, the one that we're seeking to follow, remains silent. There it is in verse 61. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. This is not how most of us would react if lies were being spoken about us. Especially if they were being put forth as the truth in a court of law and our life was on the line. We'd react defensively for sure and probably a little angrily. We'd be throwing a fit. Can you see yourself seething mad, sputtering, spewing hatred and vitriol? And yeah. But Jesus remains silent. Doesn't answer a single charge. Now. I am not 100% sure that we should always sit passively when falsely accused. I think we ought to consider more carefully how we respond to infuriatingly inaccurate statements about our faith. But when folks are shouting about their latest beef with Christendom, do we need to shout back? Probably not every time, and probably more gently than we sometimes do. I have no doubt that there are appropriate times to respond to the lies that, that others speak about us or about Jesus or about our faith. There are times to answer critics. When it is right and good to respond, our words should be measured and gentle, led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. They should never be spiteful and seldom, if ever, sarcastic. Are such cruel and demeaning ways or cruel and demeaning words truly from God? Jesus, the most emotionally and spiritually mature man in the room, opted for zipped lips in the worst possible situation. I have to think maybe this is the best response in more circumstances than I or than you choose. More often than not, we ought to consider taking the path of silence, listening rather than arguing, understanding rather than finding fault. Giving no answer is, I have no doubt, better than giving a harsh one. What have we seen of Jesus' character today? We've seen him kindly point out the good actions of a woman whom others have accused of waste. We ought to give the benefit of the doubt as well. He commended her worship, her service. We also ought to commend the worship and service of others. We've seen Jesus submitting to God's will. Say, not my will, but yours. No whining or bargaining or accusing. And we've seen him remain calm and silent while under fire.
example to consider in our own lives. Did Jesus speak to you about your own actions or reactions in life as we walk through this chapter? Is he calling you to act differently in one situation or another? What needs to change in your life as a result of having heard the Spirit's voice today? I encourage you to consider these things as we take just a few moments of silence to ask God to speak and then to listen to him and let him tell you what his will for your life is and submit to him. I guarantee that more often than not, silence before God is the best choice. So let's listen to him and say, not what I will, but what you will. God, far too often we look at others and make judgments instead of thanking you for them. People who worship differently than us or who think differently than us and we criticize instead of commending. Help us to see the truth that the different ways that people worship and different ways that serve still bring you glory. Help us seek to understand and encourage rather than to condemn and discourage. God, teach us when to just keep our mouths shut and to allow you to defend us and allow you to give us direction. Help us to love. God, when people betray us or when people turn the other way or distance themselves from us, help us to respond like Jesus did. With love and compassion, even in the midst of difficult times. And God, we want your will to be done in our lives, not our own will. Because we confess that when we seek our will, we're seeking it for sinful reasons often, selfish reasons most of the time, instead of for your reasons. God, mature us. May your spirit live in us and through us and show the world what Jesus is like so they can find joy in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.